Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Hey, if you're a guest with us, just go ahead and join us and stand up. We make our declarations at this time, so let's put our hand over our heart because we're speaking from our heart. Say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, I open up my mind to receive the Word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Let's lift up holy hands. Say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome today. Hey, would you love on somebody? Greet somebody before you're seated. Tell them they're looking good. So honored to be with you today, our family of choice, and thank you for watching on Facebook or on our internet or wherever you're watching. Thank you so much, again, for being in the house of God. I don't think there's any better place to be on the weekend than in God's house. Come on, y'all. I mean, when I was growing up in church, they'd say, so much better to be in church than in the hospital. Praise the Lord. How of you would testify to that? It's better to be in the house of God than in the hospital. That's way old school, about 1960. Anyway, when I started this Rhythm of Life series, uh, I didn't know that we were going to get stuck on love. But love's not a bad thing to get stuck on. And uh, the reality is, is that, that the elevated thought for this message is the way you love will determine the rhythm of how everything else flows in your life. And so the, what these guys are holding up, by the way, are $1,500 checks for anybody that wants one. No, it's actually notes that will be worth more than that. But... Uh, Anyway, take some notes and, and uh, follow along. There's also a poem that I've written called Love All the Way because that's kind of the theme uh, of this Rhythm of, of Love, Rhythm of Life series. But, you know, uh, there's, there's a basic need that you have that all of us know that we have this need, but we don't just walk in a conscious awareness of it all the time, and that is the need to love and the need to be loved. And there is this craving on the inside of each one of us that we don't even realize what it stems from, but it's really a God thing. And it's a, St. Augustine called it a God hole. There's a, there's a void on the inside of us that really only love can fill. And it starts with God's love. And when we started talking about this rhythm of love, that was the first thing, and it's in your notes. It's we, we need to embrace God's most important command, and that's to love. You know, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus and he said, hey, teacher, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And what he was saying is, what's the most important thing to you? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And what, what, what Jesus was saying there is that he went on to say that if you'll just do these two things, everything else in your life will work. You don't have to worry about the other commandments. You don't have to worry about thou shalt not steal. You don't have to worry about thou shalt not kill. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. You'll, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, covetousness. You won't have to worry about, you know, the do nots if you'll just do the do's. And the most important thing you can do is love, y'all. That's Texas. That's Texas Bible right there. Most important thing you can do is love, y'all. And so... God wants us to kind of get back to that, to understand that. And I think it's so needed in the world. I, I think, again, that, that we need to understand that God, the most important thing to God is that, that we love Him 
and that in loving him we can love ourselves, that in loving ourselves we can love our neighbor. And so anyway, the second thing in your notes is, is that the rhythm of love, how it works is we've got to love all the way. You know, it's one thing to get married and say, hey, I love, all, you, know, I love you all the way, you know, I love you to the very end, and half the time that works. It's about a 50-50. You know, because here's what we don't do. We, we don't stand at the altar and, and say, um, listen, I'm, I'm doing this uh, and I'm standing here because, you know, uh, it's really conditional for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm standing here and, and you know, here, here's the vows we make. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you. And then we now today, you know, we write our own vows. And, but then there's still some of the same old, same old. And the same old, same old is for rich or poor to, you know, sickness and in health. In other words, I'm with you no matter what. And, uh, and, and until death do us part. And yet, so oftentimes we stand and we make these kind of commitments and we make this kind of covenant. And, and we don't realize that, that, that to be able to love, we've got to, like there's so much in this because God says, I want you to learn to love me. And if you'll, you'll learn to love me with all of your heart, then you'll learn to love yourself, all of you. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of you. I, just like I love you. There's no, Josh already said it, there's no height, no depth. No, this is the word of God. There's no angels, no principalities, nothing under the earth or over the earth. Nothing past, present, or future that can separate you from the love of God. He said, I want you to love God like that. Love God all the way, but it's because you need to love yourself so you can love other people and that you can learn to love all the way. And I, I think about when I was just really going through this and, and mining my own soul and drawing close to God, I believe the Lord just showed me what, what love, loving all the way means. And it's in your notes there, but the first thing we talked about was to love deeply. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, everybody say above all. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And, and, you know, there's an old church song, how deep is your love? I mean, how, 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 how deep is your love? How deeply do you love? I just want to ask that question. You see, nobody can determine that except you. And there's this basic need that you have, like I said, that's, that's more important than food. Like, you don't, you know, you don't, you don't like eat a meal and you go, oh man, you know that, like if you don't like a meal, you can say, well, I won't eat that. Or if you don't like a particular type of food, you say, I don't, I don't you need food for sustenance, but, but really love is something that you crave on the inside. And, and too often times we don't know the mystery. We, we don't, we can't figure it out because we're born into these families and no matter how great your family was, there's always some kind of love deficit. You know, there's. Because it, love has to be very intentional. For people, in fact, I've always said this, to be a great lover, you have to be a great forgiver. You have to be a great apologizer. But then this third thing, you have to, if you're going to be a great lover, you have to seek to love people the way they need to be loved. And that means that you have to be willing to get to know people through your filter and through your lens. And so if you're going to be a great lover, it's going to be because you, you seek to love people based on what says, I love you to them. And that's what makes a marriage great. And that's what makes a friendship great. But yet... Yet loving deeply is something that, that very early we're looking for. We're, we're, looking, we're looking to be loved. And so, you know, we, I don't know how young it started with you. I can't tell you when it started for me, but I, can, I, I know about the seventh grade, it was already happening. Seventh grade, the, the radar was already going. It's like, hey, she's pretty. Hey, I'm going to be my girlfriend. You know, I want that girl for my girlfriend. You know, I remember the first girl I kissed. She might be here. Her name's Pam. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if you can remember the first boy or the first girl you kissed, but I, I remember Pam. I go, so that's what a kiss is. Pam took me to school. I promise you that. But anyway, <laughs> but it was about the seventh grade, you know. It's like, whoa, that's what kissing is like, you know. And, and yet it starts at different times for different people. But, but, you know, we get into high school and we, you know, the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, we think, you know, it's like, what, what is it that we're looking for? Are we really looking for a girl? Are we really looking for a, a boy? Are we really looking for a husband? Are we really looking for a wife? No, we're really looking for love. There's an old church song, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in too many faces. I mean, you know, we, we just, we're looking for love. And watch this, I want you to really get this because how deep is your love? How deep is your love? So, so we, it starts very early for us. And, 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 you know, the disconnect sometimes we feel with our parents even growing up is a, it's a love disconnect. It's not like, oh, we're just different. My dad wears wingtips. I don't. My dad wears Bermuda shorts. I don't. This is all true stuff. Uh, my dad wears black socks with tennis shoes. I don't. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's not like these disconnects. My parents speak a language that I don't. But oftentimes, the disconnect that starts to happen is a love disconnect. We just don't realize it. Because somewhere we're not feeling the love. And then brothers and sisters, you throw that in the mix. Brothers and sisters, you throw that in the mix. And we all have these ideals that a dad's supposed to be this way and a mom's supposed to be this way and a family's supposed to be this way and a marriage is supposed to be this way. And we look at all of those things in life, all those people in life, all those marriage, family, friendships through a lens of what we think love is supposed to be like and feel like. And our happiness and our joy and our sorrow and our peace and our strife is all connected to our perception of how love is supposed to work, isn't it? And yet we're happy or we're sad, not based on what somebody did or didn't do, but based on really love. How deep is your love? You see, here's what starts real early, just like our, for some of us, and I just didn't for everybody, but I'm just speaking for me right this second. But, you know, when we're looking for somebody to kind of connect with, and we're looking for that love thing, that's also when the games start. You say, you say what's the game? Oh, you know, you know the game. The game is, who's going to say I love you first? The game is, uh, you do this and I'll do that. The game is, if you don't do that, I'm not going to do that. And pretty soon, what we've learned not to do is to love deeply because we're playing a game. And we don't even realize it. And so we enter into marriage playing a game because when we were dating, we played games. And so we're not loving deeply. Watch this because if you don't do this, I'm not going to do this. And pretty soon, I'm withholding love. And just like you have a fingerprint that nobody else has to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave, in that fingerprint, that unique fingerprint that nobody in history has ever had, nobody in the future will ever have, is this God-given capacity, this drop of God's glory, this 1% factor that I talk about in my book, Your Divine Fingerprint. There's this, there's this ability that you have maybe that nobody else has on the earth, and that is to love like you do. And so I'm supposed to leave an imprint on people's life. Who comes into my sphere? Who I choose to love? 
this imprint of me loving very uniquely based on my relationship with God and my ability to love myself and to develop this love quotient, if you will, this capacity to love, but, but it gets broken and it gets messed up and it gets mixed up in unrealistic expectations and this is how it's supposed to be. It gets mixed up in disappointments and it gets mixed up in disillusionments and pretty soon we're going through life and we don't even realize that our biggest gap... It's a love gap, and we, but we're not able, to, we're, we're not able to, to identify that. So let me tell you how to love deeply. Are you inter- interested today? Can, let, me, let me tell you how to love deeply, to do what Jesus said. Here's the pattern. Love God with all your heart and all your soul. Not, don't love God a little bit. Don't love God when you need God. Love God with all your heart. In other words, when, when you don't feel love, love God with all your heart. But now watch this, because if you love God with all your heart, you have a chance to to love yourself with all your heart and to accept yourself and not to go through life insecure and immature. You know why people are insecure? You know why people are fearful? Because they haven't felt. I, I'm, I'm insecure because I haven't felt what I feel like I need to feel. In fact, let me just say it this way. We're insecure because of a love gap. So we hold back. We shrink back. And it keeps us from being fully alive and fully awake and fully embraced in a relationship because we're insecure, because we're not not feeling the love. And yet here's here's the key to loving deeply. What's the most important thing? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. But I left my heart. In San Francisco. No, 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 get your heart back from San Francisco. I left my heart with her. Oh, I also left a piece of my heart with her. And I left a piece of my heart when I got hurt in my last job. And I, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And, 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 and get your heart back. I've been saying that for weeks now, but get your heart back. And if you get your heart back, you'll get your ability to all the way. That's, that's not true. You, you'll, get, you'll get your ability to. Love God all the way if you'll get your heart back. And the devil's goal is to get you scattered out everywhere, broken with brokenness because of what they did. They said they didn't do that they said they weren't going to do. And they didn't keep their commitment. All of a sudden, I'm going through life and I'm broken. How do I love deeply? How do I love deeply? Well, here's here's how we would answer that. Brandon, here's how we would answer that as a man. I'll, I'll love deeply if, if I'm loved deeply. That's not what God said. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with all your heart and all your soul. Learn to love yourself that way and accept yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, your failures, your successes. And then maybe you can love people like that. You see, the key to loving deeply is to love him, to love you, to love them, whoever them are. One man came to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing? Another lawyer, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. How, must I, how can I inherit eternal life? How can, I, how can I be an eternal person in the midst of a temporary world? How can I focus on what's most important to you, God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's, who's my neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. You see, the people that are supposed to love you the most, because, all right, so, so, that's because that's, that's how we are. I'm talking to us now. The people that are supposed to love to us, 
that don't love us like we need to be loved, that's where it messes us up. Because we don't take responsibility for doing what Jesus said. And that's to love God with all your heart and all your soul. And that's to love yourself with all your heart and all your soul. And that's to love your neighbor with all your heart and all your soul. Hey, and then you get the luxury of wanting people to love you. But what messes us up is we got it all out of order. Because I'm looking for you to love me like I need to be loved. And I'm sad that you don't. And I'm disillusioned that you don't. And I'm disappointed that you don't. And I have these unmet, unrealistic expectations. And I deserve better than this. And I, I deserve to be I deserve to be loved. I, I, don't know where, I don't know where that comes from. I deserve to. No, you're empowered to love. And you get the privilege of being loved back according to how you love. Love deeply. If you're going to love all the way, you've got to love deeply. But then also, love extravagantly. I hope you hear the Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, in spite of myself, but God, use me anyway. In spite of myself, you, God, just, just come into this place. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Let people hear your truth. Let them, let them feel your love. Look, God, even if they felt it already today, let, let your love just come in in these few minutes that we have and let it shift us and change us and make us better lovers. Love in all the ways to love deeply. It's to love extravagantly. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we do not see things clearly. How many of y'all like me? You, you, don't, you don't have it all clear right now. I mean, I, I, don't, like, I don't have the future. I don't have my finances. I, don't, I, I just don't have There's a lot of things I don't have figured out right now. In fact, I'm reminded of the movie, Cole, drive through the... How many of y'all remember what that movie was? Some of y'all quote that, but you can't quote the word. I mean, it's like, a, it's like that's, <laughs> who was in that movie? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise said, and Tom Cruise, anyway, so it's like, I'm just joking about that. That wasn't very loving for me to say that, but that wasn't a setup. But listen, sometimes we know movies better than the word. We know songs better than the word. And God says, faith comes by hearing your favorite song and singing that favorite song. No, Faith comes by watching your favorite movie on Netflix. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, come on, say it, word of God. We need the word of God in us so, so we can know the lover of our soul. So we don't see it all clearly yet. We're squinting in a fog. We're, we're peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright and we'll see it all then. We'll see it clearly as God sees us. God, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. By the way, God loves you. I say God loves you. No matter what, God loves you today. He, if he knows the number of hairs on our head, and some of you are sitting here today and your hair is gone and he still has every follicle numbered. If he wanted to go, bam, make you grow hair again, he could do it. He did it with me with a doctor's help. Pulled it back here, and I got, I got the back follicles and the front follicles going. And praise the Lord. We'll see it all then, see it clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. How many of you want to know God more? But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do that will lead us. What's going to lead me? My faith, my trust in God, steadily in God, my hope, unswerving hope. And my loving extravagantly. We've got, to, we've got to learn to love extravagantly. Then I want to get very quickly today to this. And just for the last few minutes, I want to talk to you about how do you love all the way? 
Take a look at your notes. You love unfailingly. You love unfailingly. Unfailing means always able to supply more. Inexhaustible. Your love can't be exhausted. It's never ceasing. It's incapable of failing. David said this in Psalm 63. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. I will praise you. Your unfailing love. In other words, this is how awesome God is. And today I just want to remind you of this. That if God loves us unfailingly, if there's always more in the tank, then God says, if my love is inexhaustible for you, don't be exhausted by what you're going through right now. Just let my love fill in the gaps. Let my love, let my love fill you in a new and a fresh way. You know, there's not very many times, honestly, and I'm saying this, and I know this doesn't resonate with a lot of people, but I asked Josh last night, and I probably shouldn't even have said it, but I said, Josh, you know, just we were, I was preaching, I said, have you ever heard me use the word exhausted? Like, I'm exhausted. And he said, no, sir. And then shortly thereafter, he said, but I've used that word many times. <laughs> you, you know, I've guarded myself, and I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to just tell you this. I, I guard myself with what comes out of my mouth. Because faith, belief comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you got to say, listen now, what you hear so you can see what you say. And if I say I'm exhausted, I'm worn out, I'm overwhelmed, I'm speaking exhaust and overwhelmedness to my future. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. So I've really tried to guard that. And You know, Pastor Precious was watching last night. By the way, she's sick today and I know she's watching. And you're going to stop throwing up, honey. You know, let me, let me just tell you this. She hates to throw up. How many of y'all hate to throw up? I don't want to talk about this because some of y'all right now, uh, don't, don't talk about that, Pastor Keith. Don't. Listen, let the word do that to you, but don't let this do that to you. But anyway, so, so she, she, she kind of started throwing up. She, she resists it. Like when she needs to throw up, she, she'll resist it. I go, now, baby, listen, listen, listen. When you feel that urge to throw up, you just, you just let it go. Let it, let it go. Let it come out. I said, do what you got to do. Get it out. So she goes, but I don't want to throw up. See, we, watch this. We resist the things that need to come out of us. And we don't, listen, we don't resist what should never come out of us. So anyway, she's throwing up a lot better. I know it's going better. That means it's going to be over soon. Now little Whitney's throwing up, Layla Shelley's throwing up, but I'm not throwing up. Anyway, I, <laughs> listen, the only thing God wants to be inexhaustible in you is your unfailing love. I remember when Josh was growing up, he, he was just, it was, it was amazing how he was in so many ways. But one of the ways was he would never stay in his bed. And so I don't know when it happened. He was about two, and he started crawling out of his bed. Every time we put him in his bed. He, and finally I told Sheila one day, Pastor Sheila, I said, I know why he's crawling out of his bed. It looks like a prison. It's like, why do they make baby pens that look like a prison? It's like a bar. I wouldn't want to be in there either. So anyway, but, but there, were, there was a, a little time in his little life where every time we'd put him down, he would, he, would, he would crawl out of his bed and come stand at our door and just stand there and look at us. I could feel I, I, he'd be standing at the door, him in his little diaper. 
I go, come here, son, come here. Come on over there. So, so I thought I was being a good dad by letting him sleep with me sometime. But then it started happening every night. It's like. <laughs> and then I say, Sheila, I need you to go sleep in another room because me and Josh are gone. So, no, I'm just kidding. That didn't, that didn't happen. But one time she goes, she goes, listen, we, we, need to, we need to stop this. I go, really? She goes, yeah, we need to stop this. It happened all night long. He'd get out of his bed. And finally, one time I said, okay, I'm, I'm, about, at, I'm about at my end. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like, you're going to have to do it. I, I do remember feeling that exhausted one time. I, I felt, but some of you, you know what it feels like. And here's what I want to flip the script. I want you to understand that God wants you to have unfailing love, that it is inexhaustible. Why? Because it's God love, God's love through you, not just your ability to love. God wants you to understand that. It's so, so important. And, you know, when you think about that, there's three things. Here's what they are. Take a look at your notes. First of all, three beautiful things about God's love. First of all, God's love is faithful. Lamentations 3 says, yet this I call to mind. You know, sometimes we just need to call stuff to mind. We, we have to be reminded. That's what remind means, to remind yourself, to remember in your mind, remind. This week, I met with our family of, of, of origin, my family, my kids, and I, I said, y'all don't ask me any questions, just follow me. And like little ducks, man, here they come. And so they didn't know where we were going, Pastor Sheila, and then there was Josh, and there was Keila, and there was Whitney. And, and, uh, and so I walked them out in front of this building. I said, I just want you to look. I said, I want you to look at this building. I want you to look at this concrete that you're standing on. Long story short, there's been a lot of blood and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears that have made this happen. And to my kids, I said, you know, when your mom and I, when God put this in our heart to build him a house in Frisco, there was no houses over here. There was no school there. There was no houses over there. In fact, there was nothing. This was a field. There was a Kroger at the corner. There wasn't three banks. There wasn't a donut place where you can buy donuts and, you know, all kind of stuff. But, but God gave us a dream. He put it in our heart. And I, and I told my kids, I never want you to forget. When you come to work, don't just come to work and forget. When you drive on this parking lot, no, this is the house of God. That God has used us and a whole lot of other people to establish in the earth. It's a cathedral for the glory of God. I said, okay, we can go in now. And what's my point? I never want you to forget that. You see, it's, it's so easy for us to, to not realize the faithfulness of God. We've got to call it to mind. Therefore, I have this hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Somebody put an amen on that. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Self, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. A few weeks ago, I just had a moment and I captured it. I want you to take a look at it. I put it on Instagram. I had one of the greatest privileges in my life tonight. Papa Gorilla and precious Sheila Craft got to kneel down by our precious Layla Shayla and sing and pray over her as we put her to bed. What made it even more special is that this is the same bed that her mommy, Whitney Craft Jones, slept in when she was her age. What made it special was I knelt down by the same bed with the same wife, hallelujah, spoke the same prophetic blessing that I spoke over her mama when she was her age. This is my heaven on earth. And then the scripture that came to me was this. Understand, put this under your standing, 
Therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. Somebody put an amen on that. He is faithful, the faithful God and keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and who obey his commands. Come on. How many of you are grateful for the faithfulness of God? And you know what? When we kept that bed... That was, she had a twin bed and little Keela right here on the front. She had a twin bed. These were twin beds that we kept in the attic for our kids so that when they had kids, their kids could sleep in the same bed. You think if we think like that, that God has so much more planned for your kids and your grandkids that he stored up in heaven's attic. And he says, guess what? In your family, there's some blessings because of my unfailing love and because you've walked with me and because you've talked with with me and because you've kept your covenant with me your children and your children's children are going to get things out of the attic of heaven that I've put and stored up there for them because I'm a God that has unfailing love I never forget to a thousand generations come on give God a big hand hallelujah God's love is faithful God's love is kindness This word kindness in scripture is really two words in the Hebrew because there's not one word that can describe it. Loving kindness. It means that God has a love for us that he will never let us go. You know, sometimes somebody will say, would you please pray for my child? They're in prison or they're away from God. And here's how I pray. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, which is the hound of heaven. That's what one translation calls him. And I pray like like a St. Bernard that the hound of heaven will go to where they are right now. You see, anybody in your sphere, when you pray for them, they cannot get away from God. They cannot be separated from the love of God. It doesn't matter what they're thinking. It doesn't matter what they're choosing. As long as they're in your sphere and you're praying for them, God's attention and his eyes are towards them on your behalf because you have a covenant with him and to a thousand generations he will be a faithful God because he's a loving God and he's a kind God, and no matter what it looks like right now, God is always working in the unseen on your behalf in the name of Jesus. His loving kindness in the Hebrew, Hasid, it means, or has said, it means covenant. God made covenant with us even when he know, even when he knew we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. You know, none of us stand at the altar that way, do we? We put a ring on it. That's what Beyonce said. We put a ring on it, and and we, we, don't, we don't stand there at the altar and go, I know you're going to be unfaithful to me. No, we stand at the altar believing you'll be faithful to me. But let me tell you what loving kindness is. I'm standing at the altar, and we need to change some of our marriage vows. Because if I'm going to stand at this altar, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm faithful because God is faithful, and I'm going to be the anvil that you can beat your life out on even when your life isn't working. And as I put this ring on it, it is not a 50-50 thing. You see, in Scripture, you'll never find a ring. You know what this ring represents? Some people don't know this. It represents hesed. It represents covenant. It represents another translation, scar. Maybe we need to throw our wedding rings away, cut each other, put blood together, and go, that's what it means. Because here's where most scars are. It's the scars that are caused by this. Because we don't realize this is in place of a scar that we cut covenant together 
to stand together. Watch this. Not because you'd always make the right decision. But we stand at this altar. Because even when you don't, I will. By the way, you may not know that's what you signed up for when you decided to get married. But that's what you signed up for. You see, God cut covenant with us even when he knew we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. And what I want you to understand is, God says, I want you to love like that. I want you to be able to sing that old church song. I can love you like that. <laughs> Heaven and earth, you my, okay, uh, 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 right. okay, okay, here we go. I think one of the greatest pictures in the Bible of loving kindness is Jonathan and David. David had just won the greatest victory of his life. It wasn't just a victory for him. And by the way, this is a picture for all of us. Any victory you win, it's not just for you. It's for your family, and it's for everybody that's associated with you. Every great financial victory that you have, every great emotional victory that you have, every great victory that you have in life is never just for you. And by the way, your failures won't just affect you either. And by the way, let me just say something prophetic about the giants in your life. Some of you are facing a giant right now. In Psalms 1, 1, 1 Samuel, rather, chapter 17, David has just killed Goliath. He brings the head of Goliath into the tent where King Saul is. Let me speak prophetically about your giant right now. The giants that are in your life, some of you, and the giants in your future in your life are not meant to defeat you or to scare you or to make you run. The giants in your life are meant to promote you. So no matter what it is that you're facing right now, no matter what the difficulty is right now, it's God setting you up for your next level in the name of Jesus. I prophesy that over you. I speak that over you in the name of Jesus. Let it be so. He just killed Goliath. He was the only one willing to do it. He comes running into the tent. Him and Saul are having this conversation. Saul says, now who are you? You can read it. It's the last verse in Psalms 117. So, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 17. We get to 1 Samuel 18 and we pick up the story. Listen to this. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So here's this. He brings the head of the giant into King Saul. And Saul's son, who is the prince, he is the heir to the throne, is sitting there. He sees David. He sees his heart. He's so endeared to, to him. All of a sudden, he's sitting there. And look what happens. Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I want to just stop right there and go, Why? Why do we get knit to who we get knit to? Some of you are going, I know. <laughs> and the Bible says Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now look, and then there's an interruption in that moment. Saul took him that day, David, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Now back to Jonathan. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. So Jonathan loved David. doesn't say David loved Jonathan. And Jonathan took off his robe that was on him and he gave it to David, his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but there were five things that Jonathan exchanged with David. I could just picture David going, dude, you're, you like really love me. Why, why would you give me your clothes? You see, by giving him his clothes, this was a prince. He wore princely garments. He's saying, I want you to know you're, you're a prince. This, this is how much I love you. I'm, I'm going to give you, in fact, you're like a second me. I, when, when I see you, there's something about you that just makes me want to give you what's on me, which is my 
by, by birth, I'm a prince, but you're a prince. Then he hands him his sword. Now what you need to understand about swords, in 1 Samuel the 13th chapter, it says there were only two people in all of Israel that had swords. It was the king and his son, Saul and his son, Jonathan. Everybody else had these, these knives that they fought with, but only Saul and Jonathan had swords. He takes his sword, and here's what he said. I'm giving you my strength. You know, when you make covenant with somebody, you're saying there's enough about you and me that I want to exchange life with you. There, I want to give you my strength. Here's my sword. But watch this. He goes on. He said, I also want to give you my armor. I want to give you my authority. I want to give you the things that protect me. I, I, want, to, I want to place my protection on you. I'm uncovered. I'm undone. He then gave him, the Bible calls his most powerful possession, which was his bow. And he gave him his belt that held it all together. And all of a sudden he said, you're my family. You're royalty just like me. I exchanged my strength. I exchanged my clothes. You're, you're, like, you're like me. The Bible says that they made a covenant. Now listen, what, what's significant about the covenant that they made? Listen very carefully. Here's what's so significant about it. It was to show us how we're supposed to do relationships. In fact, here's what happened. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 20, and as for the manner for which you and I have spoken, indeed the Lord is between you and me forever. I'm, I'm not leaving. You're not leaving. This is, how, this is how friendships are supposed to happen. This is how marriages are supposed to happen. And everything's supposed to be a model for something else. As the marriage goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the marriage. As the marriage goes, so goes the family. As the, as, in other words, as the alignments go, so go your assignments. So go your future. So what is it that's separating us? He says, let's don't let anything separate us. The Lord, only the Lord is between you and me. Not your sin, not what you did or didn't do. Only the Lord is between you and me. That's the covenant. And we need the power of God to be able to do this thing. Now listen, he goes on to say this in Psalms, or I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan and David said, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me. Let's let nothing else come between us or between our descendants or our descendants forever. And they departed. I want to show you something here. Unfailing love, here's what it looks like. It's faithful. God's love is faithful. It's loving kindness. It's covenantial. Let's don't let anything separate us, but watch this. It's never failing. God's love never fails. And God's love never fails to do two things. To forget our sins and to remember his covenant. I want you to get that. God's love never fails to forgive our sins. Can I just tell you that whether you've asked God to forgive you of your sins or not, your sins were forgiven over 2,000 years ago when Jesus made a covenant with us and with God and he gave his life for you. For God so loved the world, he so hased the world, he so covenanted with the world that he gave his only begotten son, he cut covenant with us. Even when we couldn't make covenant with him or keep our end of the bargain, he says, I'm going to always keep my end of the bargain. And I want my sons and daughters to be those kind of people. And to know that when you didn't keep the, your bargain, my blood will cover your sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. So above all, deeply love. Why? Because there's going to be some things that go deep. Don't let anything, listen to the Spirit of the Lord now, don't let anything in your relationship go deeper than the love of God.
God forgives our sins. He never fails to forgive our sins. But here's the, here's, here's the great thing, too. He never forgets to keep his covenant. So David and Jonathan make this covenant. Long story short, several years later, Jonathan dies. And I want, I want to pick up the story in 2 Samuel, the first chapter. And I want you to see it in the New Living Translation because this was David's response. Watch this. 2 Samuel says, oh, how deep is my love for you, my brother, Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep. Look at this next statement. Deeper than the love of a woman. That's been one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. So some people say, well, that must mean that I had like a homosexual type of love. I mean, deeper than the love of a woman. How, 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 how can a man love another man deeper than a woman? Let me just explain it just for a second. I want you to listen very carefully, especially the men of this church, because this is the dream that God's put in my heart to raise up mighty men who will shake nations for the glory of God. Listen to me. When a man and a woman come together and they become one, the Bible says they become of one flesh. That's a level of love. That's awesome. That's holy matrimony. But when a man like Jonathan and David come together, it's two different people. Watch this. They don't become one flesh. They become of the same spirit. I've said this for 17 years, and I want to say it again. The person that you're sitting next to that's either your life partner or that you're married to or that you're in a long-term relationship with, you're not with them because of their personality. Oh, you might have liked their personality. It might have been funny. You know, every woman likes a funny man. Men, remember that if you're looking for a woman. But money is real close to there, too. So uh, anyway, so be funny with money. Uh, that's my advice. With a passion for God. And you can have any woman in the world. That, that's my advice. So anyway, so, so here's the deal. And all the women said, Okay. Yeah, all of y'all need to say amen on that because that's the truth. No woman wants to marry a dud. I, I, was, I was with uh, Josh and Courtney last night, and we were eating a hamburger. And, and Josh is being himself. And Josh, I'm just telling you, Josh is hilarious. So Josh is just, he's just saying stuff. He's just being himself. And I could see Courtney over there going, little Charlie inside her was going, what in the world's going on? That's, that's, she's having a baby in about two weeks. But because but Josh, she laughs at Josh. Josh just makes her laugh. And I guarantee you that's one of the main reasons she married him. It's true, son. Take that to the bank. Always keep her laughing and you'll keep her loving. Okay, so anyway. I want you to really hear this. Men of this church, listen to me. We have a chance. And what we have a chance is to have the same type of spirit that transcends even a love between a woman and a man. This is not taught very many places because it's not understood. And God meant for men to be great lovers. He meant for men to be able to go deep. And yet that's one of the biggest struggles that men have with intimacy, even with other men. Most men don't have a best friend. Why? Because the enemy of their soul has robbed their ability, watch this, to not only to be the kind of spirit that connects with another spirit of a man, but where two people become of the same spirit. 
And this is the strength of friendship. This is the strength of covenant. And so David said, when his, when his friend who had made covenant with him, put it up there one more time, he said, oh, how I weep for you because, watch this, your love for me was deep. Even more than that of a woman. When we talk about a love that never fails, it's a covenant type of love that never stops, no matter what. And what's so amazing is after Jonathan died, 17 years passed, and we pick up the story in 2 Samuel 9, and David was one day, remember we talked about lamentations. I need to keep this thing in mind that God's love never ends. Great is God's faithfulness, but we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. All of a sudden after 17 years, David is just talking. He's in his palace. He's now king, and he says, is there anybody in Saul's house that I can show loving kindness to? And they said, well, there is one. I mean, there's one, there's one left, and it's Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. You see, the story of Mephibosheth is, long story short, when Saul fell on his own sword and then Jonathan was killed in battle, they were, they were, they were trying to get Mephibosheth out of there and escape. Why? Because all the king's heirs would be destroyed, not only by the conquering kings, but also by the king that would come in so that there would be no heirs to the throne. So here's Mephibosheth. He was carried by a nurse and he was dropped and he became lame. They went to a place called Lodabar, which means a place of nothingness, and he was living a life of nothingness. He was crippled. He was lame. He had no future. He was in poverty. He was scared for his life, and all of a sudden, one day, the king summons him. And he comes before the king and literally lays out before him. And he said, why would you consider me a dead dog? Why would you want me to come into this place? And David spoke in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 7. He said, don't be afraid. I intend to show you said because I made a promise to your father. And you know what I want you to know, Mephibosheth? Everything that your grandfather had, every piece of land that he owned, every palace that he had, this day it's being restored to you because of my covenant with your father, Jonathan. He said, you'll always have a place at my table. And watch this. And in Jerusalem, you will always be. Jerusalem means you will always be in peace and prosperity. Can I tell you, that's what Jesus did for us. When he cut covenant with us, life has caused us to be lame. Life has caused us sometimes to feel like nothing. And he says, you know what? I remember my covenant to a thousand generations. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where heaven is opening up. My love is being poured out. And I'm going to restore to you everything that you didn't even know you had coming to you because of my love for you. That's the kind of God that I am. There's more than you could ever ask or even dream of. You know you didn't do anything to deserve it. That's why it's all about my love for you. Just stay standing. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come now. Let every person here feel your love. God, let them know it's not by their own merit. But God, because you so loved us, you gave your son, Jesus Christ. And you said, now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to become one flesh. That's for a man and a woman. I want you to become of the same spirit. The spirit of royalty. The spirit of love. The spirit of peace. The spirit of prosperity. I want you to flow as my family in the earth. No, not your last name. 
not just flowing in your ethnicity, not just flowing in your political party, but I want you to flow in my spirit in the earth for the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. Just every head's bowed, every eye's closed, just for a second, just for a second. If you're here and you say, Keith, I know for sure that my life is not where I need to be with God. Can I tell you like Mephibosheth, you can be in a place where you feel like, man, I don't know what kind of future I have. I don't, I don't even know what God has for me. But I'm telling you, what God is doing today is he's calling you to Jerusalem. He's calling you to his table. He's saying, I want you to come. And as you come to the altar, as you come to my table, I'm going to restore everything to you that you didn't even know that I had in store for you. Because ultimately, you're not your father and your mother's son or daughter. You're my son. You're my daughter. So why don't you come to my table? Why don't you come to the altar. Why don't you come and just say, you know what, God? I want everything that you have for me. So I don't want anything that would separate me from you. Jonathan and David looked at each other and they said, let's only have between us God and the love of God. Let's let nothing separate us. So today, here's what Jesus Christ himself is saying to each one of you. Don't have anything between us. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to come to my table. And I want you to know that you're going to find peace and you're going to find prosperity and you're going to find all the good things that I have for you according to Deuteronomy 28. And I'm going to open my treasure over your life like never before because of my unfailing love. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.